Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. My name is Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. On today's episode, we're doing something a little different. I think we've done this sort of thing maybe once or twice. Uh, the last time that I can like recall doing it was, uh, I guess, maybe about a year ago now. We had an episode with Jared Henderson, of uh, who was formerly of the Matins podcast. Uh, we sort of did a, an epic crossover where we released an episode on his channel and he released an episode on ours. Uh, we talked about John 11 in particular, uh, sort of based on how he does his pad- podcast, and we released that on on our stream, the Doxology side. Um, interestingly, maybe maybe not, I don't know, but we're we're back in John. I didn't really think about that until this moment right now. Uh, but today we're we're back in John. We're looking at John chapter twenty one. This is the the final chapter of the book, and specifically we're highlighting verses one through nineteen. So uh, the way that this is going to go, we're going to read the entire 1 through 19, and then we're just going to talk about it. Lucas and I really haven't said much to each other uh, prior to hitting record. We're just going to have a conversation about this chapter. Uh, What does it say? What does it mean? What's it all about? So without any further ado, let's begin John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Caveat, I didn't say this, but I'm reading from the CSB. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing. <laughs> what, what, why did I say it like that? I'm going fishing. I don't think he had a southern accent. I'm sorry. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul them in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the full net of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it, and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you away where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So, man, lots to unpack. Probably won't get to all of it, but what's jumping out at you, man? What what little nuggets of gold did you find after sort of dwelling on this passage? I think there are a couple of things that mainly stuck out to me, and they're in the first sort of chunk. I don't know if it's exactly half or what, but before the feed my sheep section, do you love me uh, conversation with Peter. Um, and I mean, there's there's sort of like some obvious, just like sitting and listening even right now um, to hearing the words read, just like the character, like I, I kind of get this sense a lot in biblical stories of like this almost, uh, this, this terseness and abruptness that I think really adds to sort of this kind of almost otherworldliness, almost mysticalness of like, and Jesus was there. Like there's just very little context in terms of like the narrative to like our perspective as a listener. Well, like Jesus or, already or, had fish on the fire, it sounds like. So like was Jesus that, fishing yeah, or did he just like grab in and, you know, <laughs> pull one out with his hands? And it's like bring your fish, but he already had, you know. So there, right. there's like always some of like some, some uh, like I don't know how else to say it, like some weirdness to a lot of the biblical stories that I think, whether it's just because we're reading in translation 2000 years later, or, you know, whatever, you know, I'm sure that's, that's part of it is just, it's just not going to sound as, um, you know, how we would write it necessarily if we were observing these events. But I think there's also, there's, there's, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to suggest that there is some meaning in some of these things that just seem off or odd, even mm. if they're small details. But Primarily, what I want to talk about is um, there's there there was there was a phrase in particular that kind of got my mind turning, um, and also just a sort of a I guess we could say like a theme that's connected to it. So I'll start with the theme, which is this idea of um, Jesus eating a meal with his disciples, with these disciples, right, and. This is something that happens a lot in the Gospels. This is something that's that uh, we see, you know, not just Jesus and the disciples, but even Jesus and the disciples with others, you know, like, uh, oh, I forget his name. I think it's Simon as well, the the Pharisee who who Jesus goes into his house and he's like reclining and and you know, who is you know he who has been forgiven much will love much that 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 okay. story. Yeah, um, obviously. Very prominently, there's the Last Supper in um, not this gospel, but in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, there, that's a pretty climactic meal <laughs> that he's sharing with his disciples. There's there's the wedding at Cana, which obviously would uh, have contained feasting, even though that's not the focus of that story. Like Jesus eating with his disciples is a very is a very common is a very common thing, and. There's also this this sense that I get when I read the stories of Jesus and that involve food, particularly when Jesus is sort of like quote unquote presiding at the meal. So like at the Last Supper, you know, as he's instituting the Eucharist with his disciples, this is my body. Like he's very clearly like taking the lead 
in that Passover meal, you know, slash <laughs> communion celebration. Um, I also think of the feeding of the 5,000, which I think has very strong Eucharistic connections in terms of um, Jesus providing miraculous bread to the multitudes that are following after him, right? Um, and his disciples are obviously there. They're not the only ones, but they're clearly present for that. Um, and then there's there's also the the road to Emmaus when he is walking with those two disciples and then joins them for a meal. He is revealed to them in the breaking of bread, right? It, it is the moment where he and 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 also not only is it breaking bread with them, but he is the one who takes the bread and breaks it, right? Um, and in that moment, they realize who he is. He's, you know, his presence is revealed to them and, and he leaves them, which I think also has extremely strong Eucharistic connotations. And all of this is, especially in the, in the, uh, gospel of John, where we are right now, tied back, I think to John six, where Jesus is the bread from heaven that the fathers ate in the desert, that he is providing to the 5,000 and the 4,000 and to his disciples. And I think that's at least, uh, I, I can't help but, uh, when I come to this story, I can't help but have that in the, in the, not even the back of my mind. I can't help but have that called to the forefront. This image of Jesus providing a meal and not just providing in, in terms of like, you know, meeting the, the physical sustenance needs of, of his disciples, but he's, he's, uh, we could say feasting with them, right? He's eating breakfast with them. Um, he's he's provided them with food after they've been out all night fishing, yes, but he's also participating in this fellowship meal, you know, this, this fellowship that takes place over a meal, um, which I think is extremely, extremely important. And I think it's really important uh, in connection with some of the things that go, that go on in the Gospel of John, like with John 6, and then also the broader theme throughout the gospels of Jesus being our, our the bread of heaven and him providing that that sustenance and the 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 phrase that jumps out at me in light of that sort of eucharistic uh you know agape meal theme that i notice is this phrase that in John 21 we see in chapter th- uh, chapter in verse 13 Jesus came took the bread and gave it to them. So Jesus is taking bread and then and then giving it to them. And that's not the first time that we've uh, seen that before. Jesus takes bread and gives it to them at in Luke 24 at the home after walking on the road to Emmaus with those disciples. We also see this language in 1 Corinthians 11.23 when Paul's recounting what he received from Christ as the teaching on the Eucharist, you know, um, we have this this language of, of taking of bread, being, you know, Jesus taking bread and then giving it, and um, the imagery associated with that. I don't believe is accidental that John is using it, who has already written about Jesus being the bread of life, who, um, you know, is aware of the other stories that are recounted in the other gospels that he leaves out 
um, connected with miraculous, uh, you know, multiplication of bread and fish. Um, you know, like it's also worth noting that there's bread and fish present at the feeding of the 5,000 and there's bread and fish present here and there's not fish in our Eucharist. (laughs) And, uh, as far as I know, there, there never has been fish in anyone's Eucharist. However, there is this taking of bread, breaking it and giving it to the disciples that Jesus is doing. And we see this, like I've already mentioned here and at the road to Emmaus, keep in mind, these are both these, these post-resurrection, uh, encounters with, with uh, Jesus and his disciples. And there's this this kind of, re- you know, this another resonance is this mystery about who Jesus is. The disciples who knew him so well don't know who he is. And then not quite in the same way here as we see in Luke 24, but there there is this revelation of who he is connected with this breaking of bread, right? It's not It's not quite as like, you know, immediately tied together as uh, Cleopas and the other disciple in Luke 24 are. But we do have this, oh, it's Jesus. They go and, and what do they do? They share, they share the bread and, and the fish that he's, that he's provided and offered to them. So that's the big thing that, I, that, that stuck, sticks out to me is just this, this uh, very, I think, clear parallel to Jesus's provision as the bread of life. Hmm. And, and, you know, this is how we encounter the post-resurrection, and in our case, post-ascension Christ as well. He is revealed to us in the breaking of bread. That, that's, that's why we do this in remembrance of him to, um, until he returns to proclaim his, his, his death. And um, this, is where we, this is where he is revealed to us. This is where he has promised to meet, to meet us, and he does. And I think that, that we kind of see that it maybe in a in a prototypical sense or, or, or just a parallel sense here. Um, I'll stop there if you've got any thoughts or comments. I have one more thing about yeah. the 153 fish, which is which is which will be shorter, um, but I couldn't resist talking about it. So but let's talk about this before I go on to the number of fish. Yeah, briefly. Yeah, no, I'm I. This entire passage is just incredibly fascinating to me. I remember I actually I saw. In preparation for this, I went back through all of the sermons that I preached when I was a youth pastor because like, I had a recollection of preaching this passage and I preached it on Easter or at least near Easter because like the heading was um, Easter lesson and it said John 21. Um, so that that's really interesting that I had chosen to do that. And it was kind of interesting to also read through my my sermon outline and notes. But um, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued uh by the fact that they like i feel like this is maybe one of the only mentions of breakfast in the new testament um especially as it pertains to like the the life of jesus and his disciples i don't know many other times where like they have this close and intimate meal and this isn't even all of the disciples i mean i think it lists simon uh thomas nathan Zebedee's sons and two others so like six or seven people in jesus are just having breakfast together uh, around a fire and man, if that's not a, even just a beautiful thought and a beautiful picture of, you know, what's to come in glory where we will just get to sit in the presence of Jesus where, uh, he's prepared these wonderful things. And it, it, I don't know, I, I'm just trying to think of like even the surreal moment for 
these disciples who, you know, Jesus has died. He, he was, he, he was crucified. He was buried. He's risen. This is now the third time that he's appeared to them after he was raised from the dead. Um, and to me, it, it just kind of seems like, and maybe this is reading too much into it, but it kind of seems like these disciples aren't quite sure what to do. Right. I mean, Simon, Peter, they're all, they're all kind of like hanging out together and, Simon just says, I'm going fishing. And it's, it's almost like he's jumping back into his old trade, his old line of work. Um, and the others join him. They spend a night. Yeah, they, the whole night they spend out on the waters and they catch nothing. We're talking about professional fishermen who do this for, at least at one point in their lives, did this for a living, catch nothing. And so after a long, hard night, you know, who knows what it was like, uh, you know, in this little boat out in the sea. Uh, but he... they're they're coming back towards the shore and some stranger from from the shore is like did you guys catch anything and i almost like hear this like hint of like sarcasm or maybe even like joking like jesus is almost poking fun at these fishermen who caught nothing after being on the sea for the night um and they say they say no truthfully and he's like all right let's throw your net off the, the right side of your boat and they, they get, I mean, you're about to tell us about it, but they get this giant haul of fish that they were unable to catch. Um, and there's just some irony there that like these people who, um, you know, in some sense have been beaten, have been defeated, but are also like in this, uh, the, the, the resurrection of Christ, like that, that brief moment while he, while he was still on the earth before he ascended, like that's such a strange time to me. Like so many weird things were happening, like the things that Jesus did, the ways that he conceals himself, you know, like in the road to Emmaus passage, or even in this one, maybe it was just the fact that he was so far away and it was dark and they couldn't tell who he was. Um, or maybe in some way that he was also concealing himself, who knows, but, um, like just the, these, these men who seem to be want, like maybe it was just for fun. Who knows? Maybe they were just wanting to go out, you know, take a break, do some fishing, but it almost seems like they were trying to go back to their old way of life. You know, their, their Lord has been crucified. He was, he was killed and he was buried and he's resurrected. But like now what do we do? And in a little bit, I'm going to actually sort of give some context that will help us, I think, more fully understand this passage. So I don't want to give it, give anything away just yet. Um, but Peter is, especially is a little defeated, I think. Um, and so it's interesting that as we're going to come to see how this all concludes and, and the charge that, that Jesus gives Peter specifically at the end. So I won't say any more. I'll let you talk about the fish and then I, then I will say more. Yeah. And I think there there is there's also a, a connection with this some of what I'll say about these the number of fish, uh, specifically to what you just said in terms of their 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 maybe lack of purpose or un, you know uncertainty about what's next, which will obviously be fleshed out more in in what you've what what else you've got to say. But real quick, just the number of fish is like kind of funny that it's just like oh yeah they caught it wasn't. It wasn't just so much fish that the net was, you know, we, we thought the net would, would burst, right? Which gets the point across, right? If, if you're like writing it down, right? Or you're telling the story, you're like, man, there were so many fish that, you know, we, we, we couldn't believe how many fish, you know, and this has happened before with these miraculous catches of fish earlier in Jesus's uh, time with the disciples. Um, I can't remember the specific passages, but this isn't the first time that he has sort of like you were saying, seemingly like playfully kind of coaxed them into fishing 
in a different spot that mm. just instantaneously gives them an absurd amount of fish. But it's also weird that, like, he, that's not how John writes this. He says there were 153 fish. Like which super is very specific. exact, very specific. It's a specific number. Yeah, it's not just an, it's not just so many fish. It's not just like a big number, like hundreds or two hundred or a hundred. But it's it's a it's a he gives a specific number, like which, the exact a, like, number, implies that they counted it, right? Which is kind of interesting. <laughs> and also, I mean, I mean, and not necessarily interesting in the sense of like, I mean, if they're fishermen, like you're saying, this is they, they know what they're doing. Like, I'm sure you count your fish so you know how many fish you have to sell or whatever you know whatever it may it's not like it's not like bizarre or whatever but it's just a very specific detail (laughs) to record that doesn't necessarily seem to be that pertinent and i think that that's kind of it's always stuck out to me for that reason because the way i've always heard it and and i feel like the way that i tend to, to think most like modern sort of commentators or sermons on that, that mentioned this, and, and I, I was looking through a couple commentaries earlier, and it seems to be kind of like the modern consensus is basically like this is, you know, um, a huge, somewhat miraculous, surprising catch of fish to illustrate Jesus's, like, abundant blessings to the disciples, right? And I saw one commentary earlier that was like, John was a fisherman, so he was just interested in fish. So he kind of like throws this detail in there because it was something that that he cared about or knew about or whatever. And it's like, fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Like it just, it, it feels kind of disappointing to me. <laughs> it feels kind of anticlimactic. And um, there's, there's actually a lot <laughs> that we could go into. But I'll just go into one. I'll just mention one thing, which is apparently... According to some commentaries I looked at, apparently St. Jerome mentions somewhere, St. Saint, Jerome Saint saith somewhere, that um, the Greeks thought that there were 153 species of fish in the world. Like, they, they thought that there were 153 different kinds of fish. So, assuming he's correct, and that that, that, is, that is what the Greeks thought, then John isn't just saying some big number that's specific because he likes being a fisherman. But, you know, remember, he's writing in Greek. (laughs) So the people who are reading his book are Greeks or understand, uh, you know, something of Greco-Roman culture, even if that's not their primary culture, you know, being part of the Roman Empire in the time when they were. Like, you know, they, they this wouldn't necessarily be an illusion that would be lost on a lot of people. I would venture to think, considering that he's writing in Greek. And so assuming that that's true, there there's a really powerful image there, um, you know, sort of numerologically, if you will, to and I think I think this is this is Jerome who says this as well, is that what this is what so so John is saying that every, you know, every kind of fish was caught. And there's this there's this universal um character of the christian witness that's being symbolized here you know jesus has risen jesus is yeah as we'll see he's going to be charging the disciples you know sort of specifically peter and 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 yeah i think by extension the others under his leadership like there's this and obviously 
we know what happens in acts you know we've we've read the next part of the story so there there we see the the spread from one little area to the whole world of the gospel through the rest of the new testament but there's this there's this potentially at least according to 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 one church father there there is there is this there is this numerological symbolism going on where john is telling us that every single kind of fish was caught because the christian gospel is universal it's not it's not limited right like jesus's power jesus's message jesus's resurrection it's not limited you know we could say like it's not limited to certain kinds of fish right or or it, it doesn't only have power to reach certain kinds of fish but it, it reaches a hundred all 153 fish right which obviously like in our modernist pea brains we can kind of laugh at that and be like oh those silly guys they didn't know how many fish there were but like that's completely missing the point i think especially if this is what's going on with why john is honing in on how many fish there were which I tend to, I, I, I kind of like this interpretation a lot. Yeah, same. Because there are some other, there are some other, like, things that, that people have done that are just a lot more, like, they're, they're counting up all the numbers, 153, 17 times this and that, add this, getting the Trinity, and, like, <laughs> which, again, I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. It's just a little bit overly complicated for my taste, especially given that there is this, relatively speaking much more simple explanation of it's not just a lot of fish because there he doesn't just say it's a lot of fish you know if he just wanted to say it was a lot of fish he would have said it was a lot of fish but it's 153 fish so something it 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 just kind of feels like something's going there's on there's a significance even if we don't know what it is even if it's something other than what we've even said here there is a significance it's it's there for a reason right and 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 kind of you know being there like okay there is a reason this seems like the simplest reason that i've heard yeah for sure that's not just oh it means a lot okay whatever but like without diving into counting up a bunch of numbers on and letters and stuff which again you can do fine whatever it's not that big a deal but it's just it's just a lot more complicated to try and get at to 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 try and say that that's what john's getting at as opposed to this sort of universal scope being represented by the universal, you know, catch of fish, mm. so to speak. Um, so I thought that was super interesting. It is, because yeah. I've I've had some conversations with 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 uh, a buddy here at at school about the 153 fish recently. So then, like when we came to do this passage, I was like, oh, I'm gonna look into this, and mm. and I found this, and I was like very excited because this is like super interesting, and yeah. I really like it. <laughs> like I just think it works. I think it's I think it's it's I, I without doing you know. Without doing further research on it, I just I find it very compelling on the face of it. So that's kind of what I'm going to stick with until I find a reason not to believe it anymore. Yeah. So I wanted to point that out. Um, it's a it's a little bit more like in the weeds, I think, than uh, where we're going with the rest of of this discussion. Maybe. But I do think that 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 con- that connects to what the, what I also wanted to highlight before I forget what I it connects to what you were saying about this aimlessness or this uncertainty or this sort of wandering around not knowing what to do so let's go fishing that's sort of answered to this this no like hey listen don't just go fishing listen to me your lord who you know and worship i'm going to tell you where to fish 
and where I tell you to fish, you're going to catch everything. Right, exactly. You're not going to catch anything on your own. You're going to catch everything with me or, or, or by me even. Um, and I think that that points us sort of in a similar direction where I think you're going to go in terms of this this charge. This this is like sort of the the beginnings, uh, you know, I kind of I, I kind of think of this maybe in connection with the Great Commission, in connection with Acts one. There's these these sort of the the beginnings of his charge to the disciples before he leaves them again for for good in in, in the body. Um, we we can kind of see it here in terms of of his response to that their you know lack of fish. Mm. Um, so that's where that's where I'll, I'll leave the fish. But I'm I'm excited. I'm very excited for you to get into where where you're going because I know I know in broad strokes what you're doing and it's very very interesting so i want to pass it over to you for sure and and i I guess i'm getting i'm getting i I feel like at at the heart of what this passage is all about so i mean this is how john chooses to close his entire gospel i mean we didn't read the last you know 10 verses or whatever uh, but this is the last story that we see and then john basically says this is the life of jesus you know we couldn't even fill like the world isn't big enough to, to contain all the books that could be written about all the things that Jesus did. But, but this is how John decides I'm finishing my gospel with this story. Um, and so I, I thought it was appropriate to sort of give some context to what Simon Peter, I'm just going to call him Peter. I don't know why I said Simon Peter, but to give some, some context to what Peter is feeling. So I'm going to read just two little segments from John. So first is going to be John 13, Uh, This is 36 through 38. It says, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter, uh, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So in, in John 13, we see this, this foreshadowing of something that's to come, this denial that Peter is going to give. Um, so that denial happens in John 18, 15 through 18. It says, Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. So I could have let that continue. He didn't. We didn't see the the three denials in that little segment of, of John eighteen. Um, but the point is that in John's gospel, as as the the narrative is unfolding, we see this prediction where Jesus basically says, "You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows." And you know Peter is adamant that he's not going to. He's going to lay down his life. He's going to do anything he can to to go uh, go out swinging with his Lord. Uh, But as we see right here in John 18, Peter denies Jesus three times. And and maybe, again, maybe this is me reading into the text a little bit too much. Um, But, and I'm also for some reason blanking on some of the other gospel accounts here. Um, but, but, But Peter denying Jesus to this, what I imagine is this like little girl who's a doorkeeper. 
like seems like the most innocent person and like the last person that you would lie to because what's she gonna do is she gonna attack you is she gonna arrest you i mean maybe she would go and tell the high priest or something who knows but to me this just seems like man you're you're, you're lying to this little girl about being a follower of christ and and as we, as the as the passage unfolds he, he lies three times uh, three times he denies being associated with Jesus. I'm pretty sure he even like, I'm just going to turn there in my Bible because I, I don't know why I cut off where I did. Um, if we go to 18, uh, let's see, 18 verse 19. Um, doo, doo, doo. Maybe did, maybe John, maybe John doesn't have all, oh, it skips a little bit. Uh, that's why I forgot because it goes into like a, a talking about the high priest. So in verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing, warming himself, and they said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again immediately, and a rooster crowed. So, just very interesting. I feel like some of the other accounts maybe even show Peter being like super adamant. Like, I don't even know who this guy is. Like, it's not just that I'm not with him. It's like, who is that guy? Yeah. I've never seen him in my life. I think that's true. I think one of them, I can't remember either, but I think one of them even says, like, he cursed and, you know, and, and made an oath or something. You know, like, very strong, like, I think you're like right. You're saying. I think not, you're right. Not just, I'm not his disciple, but, like, swearing that I don't even know him kind exactly. of thing. Is like, that's pretty, It's you know. And having three chances to answer the question and doing it that way, yeah. yeah. Pretty harsh. And so now, now you can imagine, though, that this is basically the last time that Peter would have seen Jesus, like, alive. I mean, sure, he probably saw him on the cross as he was being crucified. Uh, but this is like, this was like his last chance to, to sort of defend his Lord, to maybe try to intervene or something. Uh, but he instead, he denies him. He's crucified, he dies, and then he resurrects. And perhaps... I don't know, perhaps Peter didn't expect a resurrection. Perhaps Peter thought, like, surely this is over. Uh, maybe I'm off the hook a little bit because the guy that I thought that I was following, the one that I thought that was going to be the Messiah, died. Um, but now that Jesus has 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 risen from the dead, uh, you have to almost imagine that Peter has this, like, just nasty feeling, right? Like, in the pit of his stomach. The the Especially considering, I think you're correct in saying that he swore swore an oath. Um, to be so adamant in his denial and to have really been proven wrong. I mean, Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, there's no way I'm going to do this. But he does. And so just, I can, I can imagine, like, just like think of anybody that you've ever hurt, anybody that you've ever wronged, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a family member, whatever it might be. Like things can be a little awkward. Things can be a little tense when you're like around them until you talk about it. And up until this point, I don't think they've talked about it because they're going to talk about it here over breakfast, right? Um, and so that's part of what makes this passage so interesting because only twice in the New Testament do we see this mention of a charcoal fire, which again, to me, you mentioned the 153 fish. I find this to be somewhat perhaps even more interesting so John, in his gospel, and nowhere else in the New Testament do we see this word charcoal fire or, you know, fire made of charcoal appear. Uh, and so you almost have to ask yourself, well, why does John, why does John include that little, little bit in, in these two narratives? There's, there's the denial, the, the threefold denial 
of of knowing Christ. And then later there's this threefold, you know, question and answer, you know, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, you know, tend my lambs or whatever. Um, so it's just, it's very interesting, the, the interconnectedness between chapter 18 and chapter 21 and what Jesus is doing, the very thing that he is trying to accomplish in having this breakfast together. Uh, I just, I find it incredibly interesting. And I don't know how many of you guys have ever had a charcoal fire. I mean, I have a grill in my garage that is only, it can only be used with charcoal. And I love the smell of a charcoal fire. When you, you know, it's a warm summer day, you go out, you know, you put the little briquettes in, you, you know, you light them up and, oh man, just the, that burning smell, the, um, I don't even know how to describe it other than just, it, it's so, it just feels like summer. It feels like baseball. It feels like a good time. Uh, but for Peter, for Peter, I have to imagine in this context, knowing that he, I mean, I'm just trying to picture like how Peter has been feeling up until this point. He he's just had a miserable night catching no fish. He brings in this large haul of fish to the the shore and like ooh, the first thing that meets his nose is the smell of a charcoal fire and I have to imagine that his mind is brought back to that moment where he was standing next to the other charcoal fire in John and he denies his lord 3 times. So he's probably already uncomfortable, probably already not too excited about what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, these sensory memories are flooding back to him. Probably overwhelmed. I mean, again, this is reading into it. I mean, I don't know what his emotional state would have been, how distraught he was. Uh, the text doesn't really say anything. Uh, really, all the text says is that um, they, they, Peter climbed up, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Uh, the net wasn't torn. And then Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And so no, no one dared ask, who are you? Because they knew. And so they, 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 they sit down and, and eat breakfast together. Like Jesus shares this meal, as we've said. And then, and then Jesus goes into his conversation specifically with Peter. I'm sure other things were said before this, um, but it says when they had eaten, so I imagine they're done, Jesus starts asking, you know, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And so he says, feed my lambs. Uh, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. It's interesting. It's not, you know, you're, you're, he's no longer a fisher of men or a fisherman. He is a, a shepherd of, of the sheep. Um, and so for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. That's what the text says. Peter was in anguish because I think right now, right now, I think Peter, it's, it's all clicking and it's all coming to a head. The, the threefold denial, the charcoal fire, uh, the, the whole charge that Jesus is giving to Peter here. Jesus has asked the third time, do you love me? Do you really love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. Which, man, if that wasn't a statement in itself, we could plumb the depths of, Lord, you know everything for, for our entire lives. But, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So he says, feed my sheep. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, and then he goes on to basically tell how Peter is going to die uh, via crucifixion, at just, like, just like Jesus himself. And so there's this, like, there's this irony to this entire passage. 
Um, but it's, it's a beautiful picture of, of redemption, of reconciliation, of, of restoration. Uh, because Peter, who up until this point has been this wishy-washy person, even if he was like a leader, quote-unquote a leader to the disciples, or at least a prominent disciple, he, he has this like fickleness. You know, he, he doesn't want Jesus washing their feet. He, he, he says, you know, I'm not going to b- deny you or betray you, and then it happens. Um, and so there's this like, just this like this wishy-washiness to him um and, and and in some sense too i think fear because that why else would peter deny knowing jesus other than fearing what would happen if he said i know him um so in in a last bit of irony after after jesus has basically just restored peter that's what i mean this is called jesus's threefold restoration of peter in my csb bible uh, but but Jesus has just restored Peter, has said, um, you know, you're no longer a fisher of men. You are a shepherd to the sheep. You know, feed them, care for them, tend them, love them. And then he tells Peter the way in which he's going to die. And it's the same way. I mean, if, if, if history, if, if tradition is true, uh, we know that Peter was crucified. And I'm pretty sure he was crucified upside down uh, because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner in which his Lord was crucified. Um, again, I think that's, that's pretty much what tradition teaches, whether that happened or not, we don't know for certain, but, um, that's, that's what it seems to be saying here when it says, um, you know, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will carry you over to where you don't want to go. And he, Jesus said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Um, so man, this is, this, this passage, this, this, man, what a, what a, what a beautiful way to end a gospel. And, and John's gospel is my favorite gospel. I've loved John, especially ever since my gospel of John class. But like I, I specifically remember getting to this chapter, getting to this point in that class where we basically had gone through over the course of the semester, like verse by verse, talking about it. And it's kind of like this, investigating, exploring. Um, and to get to that part, I mean, especially the charcoal fire, because there's something about sensory memory whether it's a smell, whether it's a location, something that we can see, whether it's a sound. I mean, how many songs do you like put your headphones on and you're like, you haven't heard it in 10 years or something. And you're like, whoa, I'm back in eighth grade or something. Like we, our senses are so interesting and they're so intimately tied to our experience. And so I distinctly remember sitting in this class with Dr. Peterman and talking about this charcoal fire and the the emotional state that Peter likely was in as he was as he was grieving the loss of Christ and obviously he was there but in some sense he he maybe fully hadn't come to grips with what it meant that Jesus died and so in a sense he was still grieving um, and now that Jesus is alive what does that mean for me I've denied my Lord I've I've cursed I've sworn an oath that I don't know him I have I have betrayed my my closest friend. What does that mean for me? Um, so, man, this G- Jesus wants Peter, Jesus wants all of us uh, to follow him. And 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 here, uh, like I've said, Jesus tells Peter, "You're going to be a shepherd, just like Jesus was," and that means dying for the good of the sheep, just like Jesus did. Um, but the last couple of things I'll say here, I mean, forgiveness and restoration is really only possible when we acknowledge. That it is precisely like me. We we are the ones that have wronged others. I think we sometimes live in a world where we like to shift blame or we like to find some sort of small 
little bit of a, you know an escape clause that gets us off the hook a little bit. But for Peter, there was no getting off the hook here, pun intended, if we're talking about fish. But um, um, but healing and restoration comes only through looking in the mirror of memory, or whether it's sensory memory, whether it's some sort of uh, you know pushed aside memory that we haven't thought about. Um, but seeing our lies, seeing our sin, seeing it for what they really are and coming to grips with that. And so you can almost picture, you can almost picture the scene and maybe, you know, maybe you want to think of this sort of, um, you know, picture yourself in Peter's shoes, but you can picture the scene. Peter is soaking wet. He's just jumped out of the boat, swam to shore about a hundred yards. That's a, that's a pretty good length to swim. Dripping wet. He hesitantly cautiously probably pretty like tail between your legs walks up the beach uh, the smell of the smoke that charcoal mingled with fish and bread and sand um encountering his lord who who was was gentle who was gracious who was not harsh when when peter came he breaks bread they have fish they have a meal together they commune they have fellowship uh, i'm thinking of some of my own experience where where I go to somebody that I've wronged and you're almost met with like vitriol. They're, they're angry. They're spewing at you. They're, they're completely upset. And in, in some cases, maybe that's justified. Uh, but when we come to our Lord, when we, when we recognize the the sin, the hurt, the things that we've done and we come to him, uh, th- this is what we see. This, this Christ who is gentle, who is lowly, who, who cares for his sheep, who is the good shepherd. Um, so I don't know. That's that's sort of uh, what I got out of this passage. I'm pretty sure that's like the gist of some of what I said um, in the Easter sermon that I gave. I sort of wrapped it up with like, this is the Christ who died for you. This is this is who he is. He's not some wrathful, vengeful, um, you know, person out for blood. He he's the the gentle and lowly Savior who who loves his sheep and wants them uh, to come to him. So. I don't know what else could be said. I don't think much. I mean, I think, you know, part of why we, when we had this idea, part of what brought us to this passage was the food connection. We're recording this the Monday before Thanksgiving, in well, American Thanksgiving at least. And, you know, grasping at straws for seasonal connections, but food is a good one. And uh, I think we we got at a lot of the festal connections, and I think that uh, you know we might even say that uh, that we we kind of I think at the very least um, <laughs> oh boy here we go set the table for the feast that is this passage because I think I think that you know what's abundantly clear in these you know nineteen verses that we spent time looking at is just how much is there and how much there is to be said through what we see in Jesus's interactions with especially Peter, but also just, just his own actions in, in observed in themselves, like what we see about him, what we see about us, what, what we can, what we can take from, from this passage truly is, you know, a, a, a feast for our, our souls and stuff. And, um, you know, corny metaphors out of the way. I think that, uh, this is a very edifying exercise for me. And, Dude, I want to do more of these. Every time we do yeah. one, I'm like, let's just do the whole Bible, like front to back, wall to let's wall. Let's do it, man. Um, so to conclude, uh, since it is Thanksgiving week, 
I guess. Um, uh, and we have, you know, talked about food and feasts. We'll, we'll pray uh, this collect uh, for the harvest seems somewhat vaguely topical. Let us pray. Most gracious God, by whose knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew, we yield you hearty thanks and praise for the return of seed time and harvest, for the increase of the ground and the gathering in of its fruits, and for all the other blessings your merciful providence has bestowed upon this nation and people. And we pray, give us a just sense of these great mercies, that we may walk before you in humility, holiness, and obedience all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all glory and honor, world without end. Amen. Well, if you're tuning in the day that this comes out, happy Thanksgiving. If you, if you, you know, celebrate U.S. Thanksgiving, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Hope that you got something out of it the way that we did. And uh, we hope that you come back uh, this Friday and come back in the future, tune into future ones. Uh, you can connect with us on Twitter at Doxology Podcast or by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love your feedback or questions or episode ideas for future things we could do, future passages we could walk through in this way. Um, we would just in general love to connect with you and uh, we look forward to hearing from you, whether it's uh, social media or email or, or, you know, who knows, maybe you'll run into us in the street or something. Until next time, we'll see you. Peace.